another episode of Appalachian Anglican. I'm Caleb, and I'm here with Adam, and I'm Daryl. And today's episode is actually going to be a cool one. I think it's pretty relevant. In the heat of the summer, something cool. Oh, 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 oh I see now. <laughs> I think it just matches the heat. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It is getting hot out there. Well, today's topic is going to be about marriage. Right, yeah. Father Daryl? Marriage. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imitate that guy on The Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Marriage. Marriage. I think, uh, as we are heard, Adam, this is because we have folks asking us to do more episodes about particular sacraments, correct? The particular sacraments, is that right on? That's correct. Uh, I had some people asking about it or expressed interest, not even really knowing how to articulate the particular questions that they had. So I think as we're talking about so this. So you were sifting through hymns and you were like Gandalf sorting through Smeagol's cries? Something like that. Something like that. Okay. All right. So I, I think as we go through this, we're going to have questions that pop up either off the material that we cover or asking us, what did you actually mean when you said dot, dot, dot? Okay. Ellipsis are important. Okay. We did get a question that came in, and I want to throw this out to the, the questioner. I said I would answer it on this episode, um, and we're not going to do that. At least I don't think so. I don't think we're going to have time for it. So if you tuned in to hear your answer, please wait till next week. And with that, I think we could jump into to Yeah, so <laughs> to, to the individual, listen all the way through this episode until next week. Right. And where we cover right, your question. Right. Absolutely. I think he's a single guy, so he may say marriage. I don't need to listen to that. You probably should. <laughs> I tell folks when I'm doing their marriage pre-marriage counseling that one of my responsibilities is to give them all the reasons why they ought not to be married. Because after the ceremony, the only counseling I'm going to give them is what they need to do to stay together. Unless there is something wildly egregious. We, uh, we need to do a better job in the church of premarital counseling because men and women in that state have nothing but doe eyes. And they get married to people they have no business marrying. And they will occasionally have one or two good friends say, I don't have a, a good feeling about him or her, but because they have doe eyes, they don't listen. And most of us want to do what's kind for our friends or even for our parishioners. And so we don't express any misgivings until maybe the morning of the wedding. And that is not what you do. That's a lot of money gone. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> For there's silence. A, there's a lot of money on the line. <laughs> I don't mean to alarm you, but here are all the reasons why. Oh. <laughs> right. So, and maybe we'll talk about uh, the difference between a divorce and annulment, um, but that's definitely not where you start when you start with a, um, a topic like this, you know. And, and let, me, let me go ahead and say this too. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't plan on talking about this topic from a romantic perspective because I think that's so overdone that people think that the sacrament of matrimony is about romance, and it's not. Well, I mean, maybe that first year, the second year, you know, you're... No, no, no. I mean, like, even... even. No, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, like, because I think a lot of times that's what they want to talk about is how it's so romantic, because, but the reality is that romance, I'm not saying it dies all the way. But it's Western. It's, and it, it goes away. So it, if it goes away, then what are you left with? Majority of human history, marriages were not because of romance. They were arranged. They were planned. There was not this pick your favorite country song and play it backwards. I mean, that was not what they were doing. <laughs> you know, that's definitely been a part of things. And I don't want to minimize 
that capacity. But that has that the leading principle of romance being the purpose for marriage is also the primary reason for divorce because it's fundamentally rooted in the passions of the flesh. And I don't mean lust. I just mean the passions of the flesh. And when that's the driving force, you've got a whole nother set of problems. Anyway, we're not going to deal primarily with with the romantic I thought Caleb was going to lead us in, you know, how to woo and how to do all that. So I'm a little upset personally. You show up and just keep swiping, I guess. Is that a new... swiping. Don't that, think That's got to be a new dating app. The uh, would you woo and swipe. Is that what it is? Well, hey, there's plenty of them. Just go up and hop on them and see what happens. No, well, we got our, take, we got our dear friend advice. who he found his wife on... Is it free Christian dating dot app? Yeah. Dot, dot, it was like cheap Christian... Cheap Christian. Christian dating for cheap, I think it is, dot com. All of that just sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost as if like getting the relationship started isn't the hard part or something like that. Yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> Guys, I can already tell people are mad and like turning yeah, it yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's jump into Article 25 of the 39 Articles. <laughs> Let's jump into Article <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, article 25 is, is, is entitled Of the Sacraments, and it's where our Anglican reformers talk about the difference between dominical or gospel sacraments, and the other commonly called sacraments. Now, here's a, here's a key point of the, of the classic number seven for the sacraments, which we talked about a few weeks ago. There are two dominical sacraments that pertain to the gospel itself that we see Jesus establish in the gospels with form, matter, minister, and intent all in place. And that's, gospel, that's the baptism and the Eucharist. The other five are commonly called sacraments, so we can call them sacraments, and it's a right and good thing to call them sacraments as long as we don't equate them to be identical in scope with the first two. And and just as a quick refresher, this is very easy to say, you don't need to be married to be a Christian. You do need to be baptized to be a Christian. I've been wrong for so long. <laughs> <laughs> so all the you don't need to be married to be a Christian, right? But marriage is a sacrament. Now, there are some Anglicans that say, no, it's not a sacrament. It's a sacramental rite. And I would kindly recommend that they, that they not think in those terms, because when we look at the change of insistence upon the sacramental nature of marriage to ter- reducing it to just a rite, or a ceremony. Now it becomes something that the church has power to legislate re- re- pertaining, pertaining the minister, the matter, the form, and the intent. So how did you end up with marriage no longer being between a man and a woman forever? Because marriage wasn't a sacrament. So you can change these other things like because it's a practice and a ceremony, because it's a, just a rite. And that's you know, I, I know some canon lawyers would say, no, it's this way or no, it's that way. But I really think we need to double down on the commonly called sacramental nature here. And if we want to argue scripturally, the only one of these seven sacraments that's called a sacrament in scripture is marriage. And that's by Paul in Ephesians 5. Uh, Mysterion in the Greek, mm-hmm. it's sacramentum in the Latin. So it's very clearly that. And there are sacramental graces that are coming through Christian marriage that embody and release the graces for the couple, husband and wife, to live out as living icons what the relationship is between Jesus and the church. Those are huge, important points that we just can't leave to somebody else, like the culture. So marriage is a sacrament 
or commonly called sacrament. And, and with all due respect for some of those who say, no, it's a right. We don't want to call it a sacrament and confuse folks. I think you're doing more confusion the other way around. And that more confusion isn't just my opinion. I think there's lots of statistical evidence and look at what's happened in the past 56 years. Look at what's happened. So there you go, Caleb. So what are the things that are lined out according to when we start calling it a sacrament? Um, what are the things that are lined out? Oh, like why is it like why? Okay. All right. So in, in marriage, talking about those four, four components, the husband and the wife or the, the man and the woman who will become husband and wife, they're the actual ministers of the sacrament of, of matrimony. It's not the bishop or the priest. Deacons ought not to celebrate weddings. They can if they get permission, but by and large, it's reserved to the bishop or the priest. And again, that, that is a practical reason because they should be the ones who have gone through the process of premarital counseling. And there's the bands of marriage. There's a whole process in the prayer book so that there's the people who intend to get married, that announcement's given to the church. So there's, you know, a few weeks where people can come and say, I don't think they should get married. You know, so this, this is a, this is a, this is a sacrament that is also a civil relationship that involves those two people and the rest of the church. And then by extension, society itself, right? For, uh, if you go back just a few years ago to when the Supreme Court in the United States legalized the same sex marriage. This was the debate and why they argued it needed to be a federal law because you could have certain states recognize that and other states wouldn't. So this is this that's one of these components here, right? But it's the man and the woman who are the ministers and the priest is there as the officiant and the officer of the church speaking on behalf of God to speak blessing because that's one of the things the priest is doing in the liturgy is he's speaking, you know, in persona Christi Capitus and, and the person of Christ, Christ's blessing upon their union, okay? Another, the matter, the matter, what is the, like in baptism, the matter is the water. What's the matter in marriage? Well, this is where it's different from one of the dominical sacraments. We exchange rings, which is custom, but that's not something that scripture says to do. Scripture doesn't say to exchange a ring, you know, so you can look through all, all through Christian history, world history, different symbols that people use to demonstrate that they were pledged to each other. They were married. What did Adam and Eve give to each other? Oh, wait, they're the only two. That's right, Caleb. Good point. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to laugh. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the words of institution come right out of the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, right? So that, that's, that's the pronouncement of the Gospel over that. Uh, let's see. Minister matter for form and the intent. The intent, this one gets very, very important here because one of the reasons that an annulment can, here's the key word here, can be given, is that the couple that's getting married doesn't understand the sacramental nature of what they're doing. So for example, you have two non-Christians who, who get married, and at some point after their marriage, one of the persons becomes a Christian and the other one does not. And the one who remains an unbeliever is thoroughly persuaded that his or her spouse has gone off the, the has just lost their mind, lost his or her mind, and they leave. So it's a case of abandonment. Then the person who's been abandoned in the church can petition the church leadership for an annulment, right? That so you've got abandonment there. That's part of that, and then you also have the um, the lack of sacramental understanding. All right. Let me go ahead and say this because the probability. I mean, with fifty five percent of American marriages ending in divorce. You know, don't listen to this episode 
suddenly say, I must not really be married. That's the first thing to say. Secondly, annulments and divorces. I, I wanted to get into this later, but because I've already hit the topic, let me go ahead and say this. There's a difference because in divorce, what happens is the state is saying that these two people who made a contract are now parting ways. Why is it that the church can't give a divorce? You can take a guess. Maybe you've never even thought that that was like, you know, never, but nobody ever goes to the church to get a divorce. They go, they go to the church to get married and they go to the justice of the peace. They go to the judge, <laughs> they go to the state to get a divorce. What, what, what is divorce? Why? Let me ask it that way. You, you did give us the answer to this one earlier. Did I? Yeah, you did. So I'll let, unless you want me to say it or I'll let Caleb take some guesses here. <laughs> oh, I don't, yeah. Caleb wasn't in the room, was he? Mm-mm. Um, oh, he's, on the, he's on the spot. Why can't the church give a divorce? Uh, I don't know. It's either ability or power at that point. Do they have the authority to do so? No. Well, here's my one guess. What am I going to do with that new information? I have no idea. But here I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, so the, when Jesus says what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Marriage in the church, sacramental marriage, sacramental union, is an act of God. So the church doesn't have the power to create this, a separation anymore. So churches can say, we, we, we agree with divorce. We, we give divorces. But you, okay, you use the language, but you didn't. Like you didn't actually cause there to be a, a division of being. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, and in this case, he's talking just about the, you know, a prostitution. He says, shall I take a member of Christ's body and unite it with a prostitute? He says, don't you know that if you've become one with the Lord, you've become one spirit with him. So he's talking about ontology and ontological, uh, the beingness, that when you become a Christian, when you are baptized and become a Christian, you have become part of Jesus's body. You can't undo that because you didn't make it happen to begin with. He did. And he did that through the means of grace, through the sacrament of baptism. He made you part of his body. Only he can unmake you part of his body right? I know that we have Christians of different persuasions about that. They believe that it doesn't happen, that it can't happen. Well, the point of Hebrews is that you didn't save yourself. And if you become quote unsaved, as it were, it's something he has to do. And this is where the Calvinists would say, well, he would never do that. And the Arminian would say, well, he will do that, et cetera, et cetera. We, we don't want to get into that debate right now, but you don't make yourself a Christian and like you don't convert yourself. You don't unconvert yourself in that sense. Right. And we could talk about conversion too. In the sexual relationship that Paul's talking about with prostitutes amongst the Corinthians, he's saying that when a believer goes and unites himself to a prostitute, he is taking Jesus's body because that, that person's been baptized and made part of Christ's body and making a new entity with the prostitute sexually. We cannot divorce, like the pun, we cannot divorce ontology from how we understand scripture, the beingness of what's going on. Now you can get into issues of soul ties. A soul tie is where your somebody's soul, their mind becomes enmeshed with someone else. And that may or may not have a physical capacity to it, but you see abusive relationships. Why does the abusee stay with the abuser? And oftentimes there's a soul tie. So you will, especially in the case of a woman who's being abused by a man, if somebody steps in and begins to beat the guy, who's been abusing her, she's more angry at the guy beating up the man who's been abusing her than she is the man who's been abusing her. 
And that's representative of what scripturally we refer to as a soul tie. Psychologists and counselors have a whole another set of lingo for this. But scripturally, we call it a soul tie. And you would pray a prayer to break that and lead the person through Christian maturity uh, prayers and discipleship formation, etc. You can't undo that union and that's Paul's point to the Corinthians. And that's just the sexual union that's taking place. That has nothing to do with the sacrament of marriage. The one that's being done, um, that's happening in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 that Paul's talking about, you know, repentance and penance, all those components go into the, the, the healing and the restoration of the person who has sinned against his body, as Paul says. It's a different kind of sin, so it needs a different kind of, of grace to work healing for them. Marriage sacramentally is a whole different different caliber can jesus be divided from the church no no so how then does the church have permission to an authority to grant divorces she doesn't the church doesn't have authority to grant a divorce jesus says it clearly in the gospels he says in matthew and in, in the sermon on the mount and then again in chapter 19 he talks about this in luke uh, and, and in mark he talks and he's at a wedding he's at a wedding and um uh, John. So he's talking about these things clearly. And he says, let, let no man, you know, divide what God puts together. But then he also says that whoever divorces his wife commits adultery. He says, whoever marries a woman who's been divorced commits adultery with her because you can't undo what God pronounces as one. All right. We have to start there. Churches aren't, aren't even starting with the teaching of Jesus anymore. They're starting with the assumed fact that because divorce has been so rampant and because we live in a fallen world, let's start with the assumption that this is probably going to fail, but do our best to make sure it doesn't happen. Because we really want to affirm people's romantic dispositions towards one another. And I, I know that that sounds not jaded, but I think that's a realism. It's a dose of realism about what's happening too quickly so that you take the people that are of my generation because I'm a little bit older than you guys, that are, that are my, uh, you know, the, the, the tail end of Generation X, many of them are in their second and third marriages right now. But then the guys that are a few years younger than me, y'all's age, aren't getting married. They don't get married. They don't even do it. So they're in their second and third cohabitation stage with somebody, but they're not even going to bother getting married. Why? Because they saw what Generation X did, and Gen X, Gen X was responding to the boomers, who gave us things like Roe v. Wade and no-fault divorce, and let's, let's make all of this stuff permissive because we, we have a bleeding heart and we want to help the people who are suffering. Here's another example of let's do good, let's do what we think is good, even though it's never been the practice of, human hist- of the church that's been beneficial. Let's, let's change that because now we know what we're doing. No, you don't. All you got to do is look around and you can see the problems. So the church doesn't have power to give a divorce. Only God can give a divorce. We say, well, wait, hold on. And Jesus's point is that God doesn't. You mean I just can't tell God what to do and then him do it? Well, <laughs> you could try. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> you know how I illustrated this a couple weeks ago? I had a friend of mine here in the service. And I said, Ronnie, go outside and command the sun to set. He stood up for the whole church, and the church was like, what in the world? I said, just go out there and command the sun to set. So he went outside, quietly commanded the sun to set, came back very in. Very quietly. I very quietly. I said, did it work? It was evident that it didn't work. <laughs> right? He said, no. So, and that was my point. Like, why do we think we can undo the gospel? Because mm-hmm. the gospel is as and more authoritative than the word of God that causes the sun to shine every day. We have to come back to that 
we got to come out of this cultural fog and malaise that we're in that the church is too quickly accommodating. There are grounds for an annulment. What's the difference? An annulment says that even though the, the forms, the ceremony of the marriage took place, there was no ontological creation of God. There was no God putting the two together to make them one. So you can, the church can grant an annulment on that basis by when what they're saying is the marriage was never valid. And this is a difficult thing for people for a number of reasons. One of them is if you don't believe in the apostolic succession and you never have conversations about validity, uh, validity, valid <laughs> validity, you don't have conversations about valid ministers, you're never going to have questions about valid marriages. Because marriage and ordination, holy orders, are comparable in that they're both states of life. They're, they're not an event. They are a state that you live in, that mark your, your soul in such a way that it's never undone. So while a husband and wife don't share the same kind of relationship at the resurrection, they still share the memory of the relationship that they had. There, there's a mark that goes upon their soul. God's made them one. And the, and the, the clergy, based upon the, the order that they're in, share in a particular grace that can't be undone either. So there, there's comparability there. Annulment says the form took place. The, the, the matter may have been present. And there were ministers there. Often the intent, there was something in the intent that was grave enough that it says that the marriage never happened. And um, let me give you a couple examples real quick because I know people are probably chomping at the bit to find out what classify, classifies as annulment. One, you were forced into the marriage. So if you're forced into marriage, then it's not your free will, right? So even when marriages have been um, arranged, right, the, the expectation is that when the person's older, older enough, they'll agree to it. And you have cultures where that's like pretty much how they do it. Not so much everywhere today as it used to be, but it's enough that the person does agree to it. You know, they've got a whole nother world of hurt with their family members if they decide not to, but they, they agree to it. But so that's, that's one, one reason the church will grant an annulment is that somebody was forced into marriage. Uh, the second one is that, and this one is, is it happens, but it's someone breaks the covenant of the marriage for a variety, and there could be a variety of reasons for that, you know, um, and this is why I want to be careful because if you, if you find that you're in a remarriage and you, you have questions about annulment, you have questions about divorce, you, you want to know what is right in the eyes of God, you need to talk to your priest and you need, and he's not the final word, by the way, you talk to him so he gets an, an idea of what's going on so that when he consults the bishop, the bishop then mobilizes the powers that be in the diocese who are able to look over these issues and figure out what actually happened and what is the process of restoration, of healing, of reconciliation, or, or acknowledging that there was, an, there was an invalid marriage. And that, for a lot of contemporary people, is like going back in time. Why don't we just quit using aspirin? You know, I mean, that's what that's that's what they hear with that. And because there have been abuses of that, people use the abuse to negate the principle. For example, Henry the Eighth. You guys know that Henry the Eighth was never divorced. Do you know that, Caleb? Yeah. Never divorced. Never divorced. Multiple annulments and a few murder. Well, they weren't even murders. They were treason. They were treasonous women that had to be killed because of the way they acted against the sovereignty of the king. Wait. 
Yes, that's true. <laughs> so there was never a divorce. So someone goes and says, well, look at that. That's just proof that this is all a sham. Now, hold on. You can't, you can't argue like that. That's not, that's not logical. It's not reasonable. Okay. It's not even romantic. Although Greensleeves is a good tune. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I didn't want to get into the, to the divorce and annulment side of things because I, but that I know was where people go quickly with this topic. It's like a, a last year when we were talking about the apostolic succession and I got seven minutes into te- teaching about the authority of bishops and immediately the questions were, when do we get to rebel? Do you guys remember that? I do I mean, remember that. That wasn't the word that was used, but it, it, like almost instantly, the American mind goes to, "Well, at what point do we don't we do we not have to listen?" Like you're you're missing the point. Yeah. And sadly, we do the same thing with marriage. And I think that but that reflects the fact that people get married and they don't know what in the world they're doing. They don't. They go through. They they'll go through premarriage counseling with their church, and they're basically told to do their best to love each other and to get along as long as they can. But as I've said to everyone that I've given counseling to, uh, pre-marriage counseling to, and, and after the fact, for that matter, you don't need a vow when you feel romantic. You don't need a vow when you have the, the doe eyes. You don't feel a vow when, you, when you're confident you're making the right decision. You need a vow when your spouse is so sick they can't work. You need a vow when you're dirt poor and have no money and nowhere to live. You need a vow when, some, when one person in that marriage is being tempted to leave it for another reason, even another person. That's when you need the vow. And we treat, we treat the vow as if it's just, well, today I feel like keeping it, tomorrow I don't. Anyway. Already I can hear the, qu- the case questions coming in. What about this scenario? What about this scenario? What about this scenario? And let me, let, me, let me help throw a little bit of clarity on all the scenarios that we may get bombarded with. When Jesus explained this to the apostles, their response in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 19, was in effect, why, how can anyone possibly live with this? Remember that in Matthew 19? And Jesus' yeah. response is, it's better not to get married. If your, if your response is like this, because of what I've just said, you're better off to stay a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. <laughs> so we need that kind of yeah. severity because we are talking about ontological creations that are acts of God that the church can't say there's a divorce because the church didn't make the marriage happen. But the church does have permission to talk about annulments, to talk about what was validly and act like God really did do this. And, and we have to have those, those lines of distinction. And I, my guess is that even these categories are confusing for people who have never, never really studied it. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the qu- things I was pondering and I was thinking on, especially along the lines of like annulment mm-hmm. is we, a lot of times it's hit on, uh, the intent. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you do uh, when especially in today's world, the issue is the ministers and the idea of they, you know, they do not fit the traditional marriage criteria between a man and a woman. So do you go the annulment approach or did you say this wasn't valid to begin with? I'm not sure I follow you. Are you talking about the, 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 the priest who's celebrating the marriage, not doing a good job of preparing the people? No, like the, because we talked about the ministers and the sacrament of marriage is not the oh. minister... It's the man and the woman. It's the man and the woman. Yeah. So when it's not when it's not a man and a woman, it's not a, it's not a. There's a civil contract. See this. So uh, civil law does not deal with ontology. 
You don't, if, if something, you know, you got a guy who's a serial adulterer and, and there's a divorce down at the law at the, at the courthouse. Right. And so th- that's happening that, and the judge breaks out and says, okay, well, the house goes to her, the kids go to her, the car goes to her and he gets the Jeep. That's got one good tire. <laughs> if you got a good judge, that's what he'll do. Right. Because the judge can't deal with ontology. Not civil, civil law, civil, American civil law doesn't deal with ontology. It just deals with goods, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, meaning stuff, um, land and stuff. So that's what the civil courts are dealing with. The church is dealing with the ontology side, right? So it may be that someone has a divorce from the court, but an annulment from the church. In the case of the ministers in marriage, the, the people getting married are not a man and a woman. Uh, it's not a marriage. It's a civil contract, but it's not a marriage. There's nothing, you, the person, those people would want to go through, um, if they're not baptized, they need to become Christians, get baptized, go through confession, go through healing prayer, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think that one, which um, is, there are, there are nations right now trying to pass laws to prohibit prayer for that. There's some that are, have been successful. Yeah. Yeah. Not that far away. Right. Zero, zero miles north. Yes. So. Um, and the struggles with that, and you talked a little bit about it before the idea of, um, the sexual union between two people. Yes. Uh, and so even though there is not a, a a marriage bond there, there is still a a tie that is there. And yeah, there's, there's a, correct. It's not, uh, it's not the ontological unity of Christ in the church that is being, that is being embodied because that's what, that's really what's happening in marriage but there is a unity that's created a union that's created that you know only god can break only only the lord can really break that and that is not because there may or may not be children like that there's there's a when paul when paul talks about a person who who sins sexually and he says he sins against himself it's a different kind of sin psychologically there's a whole nother set of things that need to be prayed through and worked through that you don't deal with if your sin is something else that's not that kind of sin if it's a different kind or something it those things have their own set of uh i'll just say the word penance 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 don't cut it caleb they need it i can't speak at the oh, word come on. <laughs> cut that yeah you can cut that penances penances there are particular things that are done not because the penance brings the forgiveness but the penance is the means of restoring the soul to its state of innocence so that it's not tempted in the same way penance is like you've wrecked your car you went to the courthouse they forgave you because the accident was your fault you have forgiveness but you go back out to get into your car and the fender still dented mm-hmm. penance is going to the body shop to get that thing fixed there's there's we could go into penance another time but the point being when you have sexual sin like that and like paul's talking about you need the lord to bring deliverance and freedom and healing. I, oh, dare I make this, this parallel. How altering is sexual sin to a human being? Go back and look, look at the law of Moses. We need to understand that the law of Moses is spiritual and it's good. And that the laws that are laid out by Moses are somehow or another anticipatory and foreshadowing the realities of the gospel. And so when you look at the scope of of sexual deviancy and all of the sins that are associated in that vein and the the particular 
judgments or restitutions or recompenses, whatever is happening with those things in the law of Moses and what needs to happen to the person who does them, the things that can be atoned for and the things that can't be, that those principles are still at work. And Paul's pulling from those principles when he talks about even the, the, the presbyter, the priest being, you know, the husband of one wife, and he needs to be blameless. What's he talking about? Well, surely when you go back and you read Leviticus, the requirements for the priest's wives there's, and, and the priest, there's parallels there. They're not one-to-one ratios, but they're very important. And so when Jesus is talking about marriage and the union that, t- that takes place, he doesn't appeal to Moses's laws, he appeals to the primal law. He appeals to the Garden of Eden. And this is the expectation. And it's the church's responsibility to really do everything that she can to hold people in that that way. It's very significant that, you know, three generations ago, you had husbands and wives who were not Christians, who stayed together through horrific deeds and brokennesses and addictions and challenges. Whereas today, the advice is to get a divorce for your own self-health or what do they call Self-care for your own self-care. Like, can, can you be any more narcissistic? Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for distance, that there's not a time to separate, that there's not times to, to go away and pray. And I think a lot of this stuff that's happening in many marriages today is because there are men in the church who are getting away with things because the clergy aren't holding them to an account for whatever reason. That's a whole other topic. But I think we have to really grapple with these what are today considered Jesus' hard sayings, his difficult sayings, if we want to see real reform and restoration in the church. And we have to start with practical stuff like this. And if we start with the awareness that the church didn't marry those people, God did it because of their desire and their understanding of what they were doing. He made them one. Only he's going to make unmake them one. Like the only way for that marriage to end is by death. That's it. So it dies because somebody, so one of the parties died or because one of the parties so utterly violated the covenant that was created, that they, they killed the union. And, you, and that, is, that is such a horrific deed that there's no way I can possibly answer that on an episode of a podcast, which goes back to my advice, talk to the priest and have him talk to the bishop and figure out what the grounds are because it's very possible that you go, that the person who's experienced this, this horrible deed is granted an annulment from the church while the courts work through the divorce issues. And that person, because of the, the absolute destruction that was wrought in their family, his or her family, is then after a period of time of their own healing and restoration, able to remarry. But you can't just give blanket statements on that because of what we're dealing with in the culture now anyway. We can't undo the work of God. I, we can't make the sun, the sun stop. We can't make gravity cease. Now, we can build our little elect, electronic gadgets. and What are those UFOs I see on the History Channel, Caleb, that fly like violent and gravity and stuff? But you get the point, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was overlong. I'm sorry, guys. No, it, it's good. And, um, you know, kind of jumping off of that and kind of some of the, I don't know, the side effects or the other objectives of of marriage uh, like the positive ones because we yes, we wanted because to do that first because <laughs> we we're, we talked about ontology and that's important because i think from there you you shoot off um and you know kind of 
talking about the negative side of things, not understanding this doesn't just affect you, doesn't just even, uh, not even just your, your spouse, um, but you're talking about future generations because of the, one of the primary objectives of marriage, which is the nurturing, both physical and spiritual of, of children that's and right. of families. That, and that's one of the grounds for an annulment. Let's say you got a husband, a, a man and a wife getting married, and one of them knows that they're infertile, that they cannot have children, but they do not divulge that information. Then that's an annulment. The church will give an annulment for that. Um, so that, that's an important part because marriage exists for there's three primary reasons that marriage exists. And these are in the prayer book, by the way. These, so when you, 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 know, you go into your pre-marriage counseling, a good priest is going to walk you through the prayer book and show you what's going on, right? And marriage exists. Well, Caleb, what's the first command in Scripture? Be fruitful and multiple. Well, don't eat the don't eat the fruit, and then after that. Oh wait, hold on. Which one of those is <laughs> what first? Are you talking about or first command given by God or? Yes. Oh. Uh, What's the first command God gives in Scripture? Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Right. So, uh, I mean, the one of the biggest sins. This is going to get me in trouble too. One of the biggest sins today that married Christian couples have been making in the United States is they do not plan to have children. They take steps not to reproduce which is a violation of primal law, natural law, a violation of the first command that God gave to humanity. And then the whole law of Moses is how those children that are born are raised in God's covenant to keep his covenant and reflect him as a priestly people to creation. Yeah, and, and that is one of the, the points that um, they just come out and say it when you even look on we talked about the sacraments uh, originally, the, like all of them from a Catholic perspective, including uh, East and West. And that was one of the things I really appreciated reading through there is saying that planning not to have children, and then they named a whole list of things, including personal comfort and convenience, is contrary to the gospel right? and, and the it, intent of yep. marriage. Yep, it's selfishness, and it's uh, in real ways, it's sin. It needs to be repented of. So the uh, well, that's the like having kids. The second second reason that God gives marriage is for our like they were not alone. It's not good that man should be alone. So one of the reasons then that the church can can grant annulments is abandonment. You've been abandoned. The the the, the fundamental because the, these three things aren't aren't uh, like they're they're not negotiable. They have to be happening. Right now, you get you, if you've been married fifty years and you can't have any kids. Look, look hey, <laughs> you're, you're past that, right? You, grace heals nature; doesn't contradict it. Um, and then we, what we've already been hitting on already is you know representing the union of Christ in the church. And when those three things aren't properly maintained, you know we end up running into a lot of the problems that we have. But here's the, here's the the awesome positive side of this. Okay, is that God, because marriage is sacramental. God gives the husband grace that he, sh- he needs to actualize that will make him more like Jesus as he relates to his wife and his children. Because marriage is sacramental, God has given grace to the wife so that now she begins, she, as she actualizes that grace through her will, he through his will, through the will, through the heart, is now becoming an embodiment of the church. 
so that when the church looks at a married couple within its own her own midst, he is like Christ and she is like the church. And so when you see the way that they relate one to the other, that is a sign of the relationship that Jesus has with the entire his entire body. Not just the local church, but totus Christus, the whole church. So these these are positive graces that God's giving. And this goes back to what I meant earlier about not, that's not romantic, but it's incredibly um, spiritual. Like that, that is so, so quintessentially spiritual that it shapes and reorients our passions and our dispositions so that you find in a marriage that is living into the sacramental qualities where the husband and the wife have a particular zeal for each other that goes beyond passion, goes beyond lust, it goes beyond physical desires. It goes to this real deep desire for the man to see his, the husband to see his wife grow and mature and all the giftings that God's given her and to be successful as wife, as mother, as Proverbs 31 woman with her businesses. I mean, that that's what he, he wants to see her do that. She but in, in turn wants to see him walk in the fullness of male headship that he does sit in the city gates and exercise leadership and influence in the culture and she supports him so that he lives into that role as one who's taking dominion in the earth and then the children are growing up in the fear and admonition of the lord watching their imperfect parents live even though they're imperfect consistently in a grace that's transforming them that is something that's stunning and it's the kind of mystery that needs to be brought to the forefront so as much as i wanted to talk i didn't want to talk about divorces and annulments at the begin at the beginning i hope people have stayed with us this 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 far to hear that this is the christian objective that's what god is working to make happen and why jesus has such strong prohibitions i mean we say it in the prayer book it's not to be entered into inadvisedly or unadvisedly but reverently, deliberately, in accordance with God's purposes. Like, this is, needs to be what happens because this is the point. And so when you somebody comes to me for marriage counseling, they're not pre-marriage, but marriage counseling, these are the things that I'm going to talk to them about. And to the measure that, that there needs to be repentance and accountability, that's what we work towards. Change of mindsets, that's what we, we work towards. That is the sacramental nature that is given. And here's that may not be given in marriages that are not sacramental, that aren't blessed by the church. Now, the church, as I've said, doesn't, we don't negate natural law. So if somebody gets married outside of the church, they come into the church, we recognize them as married. We don't, you don't, ha- you don't have to get married in the church to be married. But all married couples who got married somewhere else and then become Christians should seek the blessing of the church on their marriage because that provides a sacramental quality that they may or may not have. Who, who knows? It's like conditional baptism because we don't know what God may have done, but we do know that he will work through the blessing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, even this in general, talking about the, the consequences, both positive and negative, I think, I think of, of, of Moses giving the law Mm-hmm. And saying blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, right? And the the blessings are 
so powerful and you're talking about multiple generations of people who love the Lord and serve the Lord. I, I mean, here, me and Caleb are, we, we sit here, uh, what, five generations, you know, um, my, my kids continuing on in that and the blessings that come from people who intentionally seek after the grace that comes from, from marriage, uh, of a biblical marriage and Christian marriage inside of the church. And I've seen, you don't have to look very far in our culture to see the opposite yeah. of what happens. And, uh, um, it's, it's something that's, that's powerful. Well, the Lord, the Lord does call people into lives of celibate devotion, right? But what we have today is the undefined singleness. And that is a, a, it's almost aimless. Like what, what is the objective? And I'm not trying to be down on anybody who's just single because they don't know what to do. Well, here's the first advice I'd give you. Make it, make the choice now to do something. And that first something is God, show me because you don't want me to be directionless. Show me if you have decided if, if I'm supposed to be married or if I'm supposed to take a year, two years, five years and dedicate my life exclusively to you while I'm off doing and building, et cetera, et cetera. All that's appropriate and all that's good. What you wanted to do is submit, submit, it, submit yourself to the Lord and let him direct you because um, you don't want to be a single person who gets into a marriage and then regrets it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> you know, how often that happens. Um, and at the same time, you don't want to be missing the people, you know, some, one of them that is a, someone that you could marry and settle down with and, and really see these graces come to fruition in your heart and your life. Those are blessings you don't want to miss because you're so preoccupied with the things of the world. Um, that, that's the kind of stuff that is good for Christian people to remember in every generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and kind of jumping off of the aim, wandering aimlessly singleness, you know, I've heard a lot of people use that scripture when the disciples are, it's better off that we don't get married. Like who can, who can, who can do this? And I think his, his, uh, why he says you become a eunuch is right. for, for what? For the kingdom. For the kingdom. Right. Wandering is being single aimlessly is not the same as becoming a eunuch for the kingdom. A lot of things like that the harvest that someone reaps isn't until they're older and they suddenly realize they can't go take the last 20 years back. They can't recapture the last 30 years. Uh, and and you, you, this is part of where discipleship and formation must begin in the church at a younger age so that people are growing, knowing what the Lord wants them to do, as is clearly revealed in Scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that he has revealed belong to us and to our children. And if we believe that the scripture is the word of the Lord, canonically Genesis to Revelation is the word of the Lord that stands over every culture and people group. And it is the word by which we will all be judged on that day. It's the written form of that word. Then we want to teach that to our children, even if we know that we aren't haven't been perfectly that perfect representation of that. And that's the word of encouragement. I hope I hope I give to somebody who's you know in their second, third marriage, or or even after that. If because personal situations and scenarios change so much. You know, for example, the woman at the well in John four, she had more than two, more than three, more than four husbands, mm-hmm. and Jesus doesn't come in and start to rebuke her. 
because of the multiple husbands that she's had. Now, granted, she couldn't have divorced any of them. She didn't have legal permissions at the time to do that. So there's something about her that these guys are finding that they keep divorcing her. So you can imagine the psychological brokenness that she probably has. And the Lord says to her, he's the Messiah. Like he tells her that before the disciples have figured it out. Like this is before Peter's confession. So there's massive hope. There's buckets and buckets. There's an ocean of mercy for anybody who needs it. And I want to, I, I, you know, I want to emphasize that significantly to people who have experienced the horrors of divorce and abandonment and, and, and abuse and neglect. I really want people to hear that. But hear that truth, receive that grace, while the church is also still insisting upon ontology, not because we're trying to make people who hate each other stay together, but because we're insisting upon the development of grace that God gave in the actual marriage so that the family unit grows and reflects the dynamic attributes of God's kingdom. And then I think there's one last category, I think, of people that we have left out. Okay. And that is those of you who have been praying (sighs) and you know, you're like, listen, the Lord's not calling me to be celibate. Got it. You know? Yeah. Um, And I hear a lot of of people and they're not told this and to seek after a, a spouse you, you are seeking after a good thing. And I do know there's two roles when it comes to, to prophesying. And uh, that <laughs> is no dates and no mates. That's right. That's right. <laughs> if somebody yeah. gives you a prophetic word to marry somebody, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. <laughs> but however, you seek a good thing. We're talking about if the blessings. If you do that, though, and you get married, well, you got married. They Even though they... <laughs> <laughs> so, but see, you're seeking a good thing and continue to, to, you know, to pray in community uh, for those things. And, it, you know, I, I meet a lot of people who become very discouraged, but I've also met a lot of people who stayed pure, who, who continued in that, and they got married later in life. And they're reaping the benefits of that purity uh, that they stayed pure throughout their entire life. And so there's, once again, uh, blessings for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to pull a whole like Abraham sending his servant to go find a wife for his son. I, and I so did. you were going to tell people to stop using apps, but find a friend who could go down to the local <laughs> place or wherever oh, and you know, go down to the mall and bring me a wife back. Or I, I didn't know how you were, how you were. No, I, I you know, I, I did think of, uh, Isaac in that situation. Uh, you know, they're, they were, he, he wasn't the, the youngest lad from the picture that is painted there. Uh, you know, and he, still a mama's boy. So, yeah. Okay. I realize there's a ton of stuff we could do with this. I mean, everything from, you know, um, Genesis two, when, when, uh, Adam sees Eve and then Moses says, and you know, uh, this is why a man, you know, leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. We could talk about that. We could talk about the rise of polygamy in the old covenant, how it was a violation of God's command in Genesis. We could talk about the sexual sins in Israel, we hit we hit it on that with with Leviticus, but then the way that that in, enters into worship, how sexual deviancy always impacts worship, it impacts liturgy, and how changes in liturgy impact the sexual practices of the people. That's all through the old covenant. That's all through human history. Um, there, there's all kinds of stuff that we could we could touch on with this topic, but I think with marriage itself, highlighting that awesome blessing and benefit of ontological unity, of union, of unity. Yes, there's that side that says, okay, well, my spouse and I have hit a, have, have hit a, have hit a rough spot. We need to figure out how to get through this. 
yes, there's that, but then the, the, the blessing is far beyond anything that you can make happen yourself. And I think those are things to, to really recommend. So I guess we'll get questions about this. There's, listen, there, we have said, a lo- we have covered a lot of material at about 120 miles an hour. And, uh, and we're taking a break. So we have one episode that's going to drop next week mm-hmm. and nothing until, what, the end of August? Yeah. So, so there's, there's questions there. There, you know, there's, there's a lot that we did not say, color in all the if way. If someone sends us a direct question, what should I do in my life? We're not going to answer it. No. Or, hey, so I have this friend, you right. know, which is uh, right. synonymous <laughs> with, uh, so I did the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had this friend. Uh, we, the recommendation is talk to your priest. And if you have pastors, like say you're in a church outside of the apostolic succession or you're in, in one and you know, you don't trust their advice or their counsel on marriage. Why are you there? I'm, I'm, and that's a legit question I have for people. Why are you, why do you keep going? Well, she likes to go because he, you know, when we talk to him, he always agrees with her. Well, he likes to go because, you know, he's really pulled the wool over on the pastor's eyes. You don't have to submit to that kind of nonsense. Go get some other opinions. Go find a church that's part of the historic succession that's got bishops that have canon laws to pull from from the past 2,000 years because you're not the first person to experience what you're going through. Right, Caleb? The church figured out most of the issues we're dealing with today and provided the solutions for it 1,600 years ago. Absolutely. So find some find a group that's doing that. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that strikes a lot of people is that, that Anglicans give annulments to say, I thought that was a Catholic thing. Well, we... Um, hmm, yeah, we're, we're Catholics. We're just not Roman. And annulments in the Anglican Church don't cost fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, so, uh, not to disparage our Roman uh, brothers, but uh, you, you guys, lawyers are expensive, man. Yeah, you know, right. like it is how it is. And there is there there is an itemized list for annulments. But like I said, I don't want I don't want this to be about how do I get out of my marriage so I can go get another one, which is what happens. This is about how do you actualize the grace. Mm-hmm to be the husband, to be the wife that is given to you by Christ. And how do you, how do you receive that with thankfulness and appreciation and watch as the Lord matures it in you, knowing that most of the time maturity comes through difficulty? All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us this week. We definitely covered a lot for this topic, uh, but we hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, you can shoot them over to me at calebridgeway at AppalachianAnglican.com. So, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be it. Thanks again for listening. And once again, I'm Caleb, and I'm here with Adam. And I'm Daryl, and thanks for listening to this long, winding podcast episode. <laughs>